Welcome to this edition of the Wrestling with Legends podcast. I'm your host, Vince McKee, and tonight's guest, the original Monday Night Raw commentator, Rob Bartlett. Sit back, put your feet up, and grab something cold to drink. Up next, the Wrestling with Legends podcast. Truly a special episode today. We have Rob Bartlett, a legendary comedian, and as a lot of our wrestling fans know him as well, the original color commentator of Monday Night Raw, something I'm sure he takes great pride in, and we are going to talk about that. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure. <laughs> so, uh, it's it's freezing up a little bit on my end, though. It is. I, I, I see, yeah. It's, you were kind of looking at me and not laughing, and I thought, oh boy, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll see how the rest of this goes, and now we can start over. Not a big deal. Yeah. How did you start working with the WWF, and what was your knowledge of the product going into that? Um, the 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 way I got into it was it's kind of a um, an interesting story. I, I I'll answer the second question first. I had no knowledge whatsoever, other than uh, the minimal knowledge that I was able to get by. Um, just hanging around my son, who was, I think, eight at the time. Uh, and he was a big wrestling fan, and I had taken him to to a match at Madison Square Garden. It might have been the match that Randy got married to Miss Elizabeth. I don't, I, I don't, yeah. I, I might, I might, uh, that might have been the one that I took him to. Uh, he was a huge wrestling fan. Um, and, and the way that I kind of fell into it, and I really did fall into it, I had done a benefit for Connecticut Special Olympics. I used to do a lot of work for them because when I worked on the Imus in the Morning Show, one of Imus's best friends, Mike Lupica, his wife, Taylor, was very involved in Connecticut Special Olympics. And so we, we do a lot of you know fundraising and benefits for them. And so I kind of got to be their go-to guy, MC, uh, uh, auctioneer, you know, uh, basically bake people's chops and shame them into donating. And... Um, <laughs> There was some some event uh, up in up in I want to say Stamford, and it was outside in a tent for some reason, and I don't remember why. Um, but it was big, it was huge. Just uh, there had to be 400, 500 people there, and at the table right up front, closest to where I was standing at the podium, um, was Vince and his wife. And Vince was wearing a peach-colored three-piece velour suit um you know three-piece you know that's kind of his trademark velour and peach colored i don't know if i would have made that fashion choice and i spent about 20 minutes hammering him <clears throat> about the suit um i, I actually <laughs> did more of that than i did actual material that night and it was killing people just loved it and you know he took it you know he took it very very well he was laughing uh, I wasn't sure he was really, you know, enjoying it, but he was uh, he was keeping a very good, uh, very good composure, and um, so you know the benefit was over, made a lot of money, and um, he sent I think he sent a card to the radio station we were at FAN at the time, and it said uh, you know you just I had fun the other night you know, you, you were great um, I'm just really disappointed you didn't like um, the. the the fashion choice that I made and, you know, some kind of a joke about how, you know, I've... and so I was great, you know, and a couple of days go by and 
I was leaving the station. I used to go in after the show was over to record comedy bits for the next day. And so it was an early afternoon, and as I'm driving home, I, I get a phone call from my Mrs. Assistant. She said, Vince McMahon called for you. Um, I want you to call him back. And I was, oh, now the other shoe drops. Now it's like, I'm not, you know, I'm in trouble, you know, because Vince is a very imposing guy, and he's not yeah. somebody that you feel like you want to piss off by any stretch of the imagination. And so I, I, I call him. And he says, uh, Bartlett, uh, how do you like to work with the WWF? I said, what? I'm putting together this new show. It's going to be live every Monday from Manhattan Center. Calling it WWF Monday Night Raw. <laughs> he laid out this idea, you know, that he had, which was to do a live event on Monday nights from Manhattan. Um, and he had, you know, everybody in the organization behind it. Um, you know, Bobby the Brain, um, Sean Moody, I mean, everybody. And he said that I would be part of the announce team with himself and Macho Man Randy Savage. So, um, you know, I thought about it for a second or two, and I thought, just as, why not? If nothing else, you know, my son will get some access to some backstage, uh, you know, photo ops with the, the guys that he, you know, adores. So... So I, you know, following week, I think, went up to, uh, went up to Stanford, uh, the WWF at the time headquarters and met with Vince. And we went over to there, um, right across the uh, highway from where the, the headquarters are is a, um, uh, like a corporate park kind of a thing. Uh, and that's where a lot of the you know, most of their studios were in that area and their control rooms and whatnot and went there and, and we did, um, we did a couple of mock, mock, you know, attempts at, at you know, he played some tapes, some old matches. And, um, you know, I met Randy who was, you know, one of the greatest people I'd ever met. He was just the kindest, most supportive, sweetest, um, guys on the planet. And then, uh, he made me feel very, very welcome. And he said, uh, Bartlett, if there's anything I can do to help you, just let me know. You know, you want, you want me to be the butt of the joke? I'm your man. You know, so, <laughs> so it was great. You know, it really made me feel at home. Uh, it was kind of clear, though, from the first couple of dry run-throughs that this was not my forte. Vince thought, um, and to his credit, uh, it, it would be a good idea to have somebody who was on a radio show who was used to being live, doing stuff, you know, topical and, you know, that, that it would help the broadcast, which in theory was a great idea. Uh, I think, however, had I known a little bit more about the product, that might have helped just a tad. And I also think that the kind of stuff that I did in my stand-up bag was very character-driven, and that's the stuff I did on the radio. And so it, it wasn't really like one-liners. One you know, It wasn't like set-up punchline stuff. And so that, that was not really a great fit there. Um, and I tried to create a persona for myself. You know, I figured I, I could be the, the, you know, the idiot heel and, uh, and, you know, it became apparent, <laughs> painfully apparent around episode three that this was, this was really not going to work. But I, I hung on uh, for, I think, another 10. I think I did 13 altogether, 12 or 13, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I had, uh, you know, two, two of my favorite moments 
uh, were when I interviewed Sensational Sherry and Luna Vachon up at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center, which was a hockey arena that we used to do the show from every third Monday, because um, every fourth Monday, because Manhattan Center, I think it was owned by the Reverend Moon, and so they had plans for that room one Monday every month, and so we had to go up to the Mid-Hudson Civic Center. Um, and I, I got to interview Luna Vachon and uh, Sensational Sherry, and I got my clothes ripped off uh, yeah. by them, which was um, a great moment. And um, But my favorite was when um, Vince and Macho Man were both at a uh, award ceremony. Uh, Vince Pretty was getting function. A, yeah. Vince right. is honored. Yeah. Well, because, you know, one thing, you know, aside from the fact that he's just a brilliant guy in terms of knowing his product and, and his audience and, um, you know, the way that he thinks about it and, and the ideas, he's, he's, he knows what the people want, you know, and, and he's like the, um, uh, what's the guy, the, the PT Barn, he's the PT Barnum of our age. He really knows, you know, how to entertain people. But the, the thing that, he doesn't usually get a lot of um, credit for, which he should, is all the charity work that that organization does. And they do, I mean, they they put their, them, I'm not very good at articulating, as you can tell. I'm usually not up this early, even though it's one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, they Everybody on, in that organization. I mean, the, the, the wrestlers constantly, it's every week, visiting children's hospitals and, and um, you know, visiting kids and, and all kinds of things. They donate money and time, and it's just that they really do a lot, uh, especially for, for children's charities. And so he was getting an award uh, that night. It was going to be given to him by, uh, I think, Hulk Hogan. Uh, Randy, Randy was going to be there, and so... Uh, we were up at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center, and they told me the week ahead that that was going to happen, and I was, oh, okay, um, what can I do? Because he said I was going to be there with Bobby um, Bobby the Brain Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon. Now, Bobby, uh, Bobby and I hit it off from the very beginning. I mean, Bobby, you know, in the first ride did played, played various quote-unquote relatives of mine trying to get into the building because he, he thought that he was supposed to be you know, one of the commentators. And so that was the, the bit that they were running. And he, he actually, you know, he'd do anything for a laugh. He dressed up in drag and dressed up like a rabbi. For some reason, Vince always thought that I was Jewish. I don't know why, but that was, he really thought that I was Jewish. Um, uh, but Bobby was just the nicest, again, just the greatest person. Um, could not be more warm or, or sincere or helpful and just a sweetheart of a guy. And achingly funny the two of them together gorilla and bobby could have been like a comedy team like for, for sure. real they could well, they're, definitely they're really best friends and yeah. they but they could have done it they could have definitely like gone on the road just doing comedy because they were that good together the chemistry was incredible so i decided you know what vince is not going to be there so i'll be vince yeah and i asked the makeup lady um that night i said do you think you can make me look like vince and she says oh yeah uh, so I rented a tuxedo and, and she got me these shoulder pads so that my shoulders would, you know, be like an aircraft carrier, which is obviously Vince. And she made my lips really big and she got my hair to look like Vince's. Then I wore the, the red tie and put my hand behind my back and I held the microphone and I did Vince the entire show. Um, but 
you know, I didn't really speak as much as Vince. It's just kind of make noises as Vince. Because when I was listening back and watching, because they used to send me the tapes of the previous show every week so I could watch. And I, you, Steve Vince, you know, Steve Vince going, I don't know, 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 And so I, I kind of did that the entire, well, Heenan thought it was a scream. He knew what I was trying to do. Gorilla was a little bemused. He was a little, you know, not quite yeah. sure uh, what it was about. And I think he actually kind of got angry after a while because he just didn't get it, you know. And I think one of the lines I did, um, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, we came back from commercial and I said, um, uh, during commercial, uh, I forget who it was, the wrestler, I said, was up in the crowd and 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 stole a young child or, or something something like one of the wrestlers had kidnapped a kid in, in the audience or whatever and and gorilla went no he didn't he was just so upset but um that was my favorite and the following week we were back in manhattan center and there was a room where we used to all go to meet before you know for the pre-show um you know, meeting and uh, everyone there was kind of looking at me and smiling. I mean, the, the crew at at uh, Mid Hudson that night went nuts because nobody had ever thought of or even dared to want to try to make fun of Vince because um, I guess they all thought he didn't have a good sense of humor. Um, and so they're all kind of looking at me and looking at the floor. And, you know, um, I used to love those meetings because, you know, um, that'd be the wrestlers and all their costumes and everything. And then there would be tech guys, whatever, you know, everyone just kind of milling around the, the buffet of grilled chicken and steamed vegetables and lots of Ico pro bars. Um, and, uh, undertaker would be in a corner of the room, um, squatting, like completely squatting, flat footed, um, with his hat off, just staring. I don't know if that was where he got into character, but that's what he did the entire time for like an hour before the match started. He would, so he was there in the corner staring. Um, and But he wasn't the scariest guy in the room. The scariest guy in the room was Bam Bam Bigelow, because I don't know if you guys remember Bam Bam Bigelow. He was, yeah, about 400 pounds, uh, bald with tattoos of flames on his head. Um, and so he'd be over in the corner, you know, chewing on a car battery or whatever. He was... Um, and then Vince walks in and the place gets deathly quiet. Everybody just turns and looks at me. And Vince looks at me and he goes, Bartlett, you're fire! Everybody laughs, big joke, ha ha ha. Um, and he, he, he teased me about it, I think, during the match. Yeah. And, and the following week, uh, I showed up for the show and uh, there was nobody there. There was nobody in the Manhattan Center. It was empty. There were, you know, the bleachers were still set up. And a camera guy. And they were up at the Mid Hudson Civic Center. <laughs> they didn't tell me. And so that was Vince's revenge. So he had to. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was probably the night after WrestleMania because you weren't there and they made you call yeah. in. Right. And say you were, in, you were out in Vegas, you lost all your money. Right. Right, right, right. All that. Yeah, because it was very random. And then you were on for about two more episodes. Yeah, I did that. So I, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you because to me, that was extremely entertaining, right? Uh, now, um, I'm, I'm a little too, too young to really know a lot about Elvis. Like, I mean, he's famous, right? We've all heard his music. Like, that's everybody knows Elvis, right? But I wasn't alive for like his run. So uh -huh. I got more of a kick out of the Vince McMahon stuff. But mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I want to ask you, so did you have to run that by anybody before you did it? Because I know you said you met with makeup and stuff like that, but because nowadays everything is so heavily produced. So back then, was it just like, this is my idea, and since he's not here, we're going to run with it? No, I've got to give Vince credit. Um, he wanted me to do, you know, he trusted me to do what I thought I could do, you know, what I thought was going to be the best, what was going to be funny. Um, and so, you know, I when I came in as Elvis one one week, just because I thought it would be a funny visual, you know, and everyone, of course, thought the you know, hockey talk man was making a, a, a return. Um, but he didn't know about it. And that happened to be the week that he had doink hit me in the face with a pie, like really early on in the show. So you couldn't even tell I was Elvis because I had this whipped cream on my face the entire time. You know, I just thought it'd be funny if I was there as Elvis, you know, taking drugs and eating, just eating yeah. everything. Um, no, I never had, you know, he never asked me to, to run anything by him. Really? Um, no, okay. and, and I give him a lot of credit for that because it was, you know, it was a a risk it was a huge risk you know one that i'm sure he probably regrets taking but um he he was terrific when it came to that he really you know i I think he knew so much about show business in general um and i think that he kind of subscribed to the idea which is surrounded yourself with people who are better than you and things that you're not or whatever and, I, and, you know, he wasn't wrong for thinking that that might have been a good idea to bring somebody in from the outside uh, because it was supposed to be unscripted, you know, and, and edgy and whatnot. But the problem was, is I would get too edgy and they would want to shut me up, you know. So I didn't, really didn't know where the line was, although they wanted us to be edgy, or at least, you know, the idea was to be edgy so that, you know, we were always kind of testing the limits. But I think USA was just really, like, not interested in, like, pushing stuff anywhere yeah. that it you know so yeah. and i they've think he used to through, get yeah they've gone through stages since then where the attitude era they wanted them to push as much as they could and mm-hmm. and, and constant swearing and all that back mm-hmm. to kind of like the john cena era of back to pg and then you know hulk hogan would take your vitamins and say your prayers so i can kind of see that but with that show being so new at the time you know i think you had the right approach to just lay it all out there, see what works, right? So that's how I see it as a fan. I mean, and the other thing too, it's funny because everything you've talked about, I, you literally, it's, it's almost like you have uh, my questions in front of you because you just hit every single one as you were talking. Ah, I'm sorry. You know, it's, I think it's hysterical. But I mean, I always got follow-ups ready anyways. So one of my follow-ups to that was, um, you know, again, talking about the, the, the Elvis stuff, but there were, there were two things I wanted to really ask you about. And one was getting the pie in the face by doing and it was the pull apart brawl between Sensational Sherry and Luna? Did you did they and either one of those things? Okay, and, and you know, full disclosure, we all know Rocky script. Yep, learned it a long time ago. So uh, no, like, did they no. tip you? No, no, don't don't say that, Vince. No, I never used that word. No, it's uh, the outcomes are predetermined, and I leave it at that. But all joking aside. Did they let you know that was coming both times? Did they say, hey, these two women are going to tear you apart? Like, wear something that they could rip off? No. Like, shock? No, until just before the interview. Really? Right. Just before the interview, um, Vince said, hey, just so you know, um, they're, they're going to get into a cat fight and then rip your clothes off. I, I, I said, what? <laughs> he says, uh, let, let me see. And he's like testing it to see if it was going to, you know. 
come away because it was like my regular clothes. I mean, totally ruined my my, my shirt and my vest. And, but you know, hey, you know, I'm in it. I'm in. You know, I'm. I'm I'm were, you, I mean, were, you, were you shocked at how strong those women were? And now, okay, so it's 2022. Women are on par with men with athletics. Like, I, we cover the female sports. I 100% support it. I just want to preface that before I say this. But this is back in 1993 when there was maybe three women in all of wrestling. I mean, were you kind of shocked with how strong a woman like Sherry Markel was just to... Uh, well, she was an imposing figure when you met her in person. I mean... I kind of got the idea that she wasn't a shrinking violet, you know. Yeah. And then, of, then, of course, when Luna made her entrance, you know, I had no experience with Luna, so I didn't know what I was getting myself into with her because I didn't meet either of them prior to the show. Um, but Luna came out, and so, you know, I think my, my line to her was about, you know, her head spinning around and spitting up bee soup, yeah. you know. And, um, yep. and then when they got into it, you know, that look of fear you see in my face is not acting. That was not, I was definitely frightened for my life at that point because they were both so strong. I mean, so strong. And so I wanted to get the hell out of there as quickly as possible. And so I, I, I you know, I, I feigned, you know, I did my, my patented finishing move, which was running from the ring in, you know, in fear. And, um, and then I came back. Uh, when they went to I guess they went to spots, and in the back I had the, the makeup lady again. Uh, I was down in my t-shirt. I tore the t-shirt, and she gave me a black eye, and she gave me some bruises. And and then I came out, and then I think I fainted. And then Randy came over and stuff and slapped me in the face, trying to wake me up or whatever. It was, you know, I just went with it. You know, it was a, that was the thing. It was I had a, a very strong background in, in improv, so I, I know how to kind of use whatever's you know, in the room and, and go with that. Um, unfortunately, those skills didn't always serve me well um, on Raw, unfortunately. But um, it was it was a, a whole lot of fun, man. And, and, and with the doink thing, I had no idea. Uh, Vince didn't give me any warning about that at all, uh, which was really kind of funny. Um, well, that's when you get some of the best reactions, too. When, when it, when it's, well, yeah, that's exactly it. It made for great... Made for great TV. He knew, you know. He knew if he told me, I might do something to kind of upstage the event, right? Or, or flinch or whatever. Not knowing it was coming was perfect. You know, it was. It was. It. it I think that was the thing about Raw that really worked and why it's still on today is the fact that you know you know that it's live and and anything can happen. You know. Um, well, I mean, right? Were you surprised by the, and again, this is me talking to throw, I'm 35 years into being a fan, right? But like you said, you know, one of your first impressions of wrestling was watching a white, right? So what the heck? But you, you're there in person and you are, you know, 10 feet away. Were you kind of surprised at the athleticism of, of a lot of these competitors? Just how, like a guy like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, being able to flip, being able to twist and not get hurt. Um, somewhere towards the end of my, my time with the WWF, there was a match that went on through one, maybe two commercial breaks, yeah. uh, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember who it was, but I just Mr. remember. Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair. Oh, yeah, okay. It, it was so impressive to me that these guys could do 
what they did for as long as they were doing it. I mean, totally committed, and, you know, they were, you know, I was blown away. You know, whenever you see somebody who, who does what they do best and make it look easy almost, then you know, you know, uh, those two guys, I was, my mouth was hanging open. You know, I mean, Vince, every time we would go to commercial, Vince would, like, try to impress upon me about you know do you have any idea what it takes for these guys to do this and and because you know it's, it's the same kind of it's just i know this is going to come back to haunt me but the same principle that goes with um uh, a, a wrestling match a professional wrestling match and pantomime is that when you're pantomiming you know pulling a rope right it it requires twice the amount of strength and concentration because you have to create the resistance, but you also have to create the rope, right? So, so that it's physically, and that's what these guys have to do. They have to sell what they're doing and, and, and make it look, you know, believable. And they really do. They really, really do. And so it's twice as hard as if people were just actually in a fight, you know, so they're working twice as hard. And and it was really, I mean, very impressive to me. So I got to ask you too. I got a couple of questions left here. Thank you again for your time. Um, yeah. What's fascinating to me is uh, how big some of these guys are in person, and you don't realize it again until you meet them for the first time. The very first episode, like right out of the gate, there's two guys who wrestled that night. Uh, one is no longer around. One just went to the Hall of Fame. The first one was Yokozuna. What was your first impressions of seeing a man that large move that quick? Um, again, it was just like, stay out of his way. You know, it was, <laughs> like, it was like, you know, there was a battleship on, on you know, in the ring. Um, and I think, I think one of the first things I said um, when Yokozuna came out, um, that's one big butted oriental, Vince. And, <laughs> You know, that, that line is going to haunt me for the rest of my life. Um, and they kind of laughed uh, at me for mispronouncing his name. But they didn't realize what I was doing was I was imitating Mr. Fuji because he used to mispronounce his name. Yeah. So, but no one got that, you know, because I had at least done a little bit of my homework. Um, Yokozuna, Yokozuma, it was, it was really, you know. Um, but um, he was a funny guy. Outside of the ring too, I mean, Fuji. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what I heard. Really because he was, you know, he'd been doing it for so long. He was such an old school guy, and had a really wicked sarcastic sense of humor. So, I used to love when when he'd be there because uh, there was, you know, there was always going to be something that he was going to say that was going to make me laugh. You know, he had a very, you know, he'd raise one eyebrow at something that one of the wrestlers would say. You know, backstage in the green room, and I'd be done. That'd be it. I'd just be on the floor. And and, and the same thing. The, and who was the other one? That, um, oh, I was, I was going to ask you. So the, the other one, um, obviously, a lot of people. Well, actually, I got two more for you. I'm going to throw an extra one in there. But the take next, your time. I got nowhere to go. Yeah, so <laughs> the next one I had was the Undertaker, because clearly this is a guy that I've met several times, and I have not even gotten a handshake on him. Most of them will stop. They'll take a picture. You could get a quote, whatever you want. This guy, the Undertaker, I wonder if he ever came out of character because I'm just curious, what was he like behind the scenes? Was he did he speak? Was he just in the corner like you said, or what was going on? Because it's just intimidating. I never saw anybody 
maintain a character and you know i have done films i've done tv series i've done you know broadway and i've never seen anybody stay in character the way the undertaker stayed in character he i think he got when he got up in the morning he was the undertaker and he was the undertaker until he went to bed at night i don't think i don't think he ever i don't well i certainly never saw him get out of character I mean, he literally, every time he was on the show, would be in the green room, in a corner, squatting, right? And But but straight back, not even leaning against the wall, squatting, you know, flat-footed, as though he were his own chair, and just <laughs> staring straight ahead. It was it was spooky, you know? Um, but it was great, because nobody messed with him. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, could, that was probably one of the best things he did for himself. Um, you say he, he's no... He's no longer with us. No, no, no I'm sorry. Uh, Yokozuna passed away. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, that's sad. But I didn't know that. Look at it this way too. I got to say this one thing about the Undertaker, and you know, definitely wanted to be on the record here. This is a guy by maintaining his character couldn't go out with the boys at night to the bar and drink like a lot of them did when they were on the road. You know, they want to go out and, and party or whatever, like a Flair kind of guy. Couldn't do it because, like you said, had to stay in that character. And, and to me, that's an unbelievable sacrifice. No, the, the last guy I was going to ask you about, obviously, is the famous Hulk Hogan. The reason why I want to bring up Hulk Hogan for this one reason, they brought him back for that WrestleMania push, that big WrestleMania 9 push. And really, I mean, he might have been the master of easy paychecks because he was probably on three shows, wins the belt, never came back. Wrestled one more time in Dayton, Ohio at the King of the Ring, and that was it. Did you ever get a chance to actually have a, a some conversation with him at all or anything in that, that short time he was there? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I met him for the first time at the show, um, and we talked about, um, was it Mr. Nanny? It was a, another one of the movies he did where he played the, the space bounty hunter. I can't remember the Superman name. Commando. Oh, right, Superman Commando. I think that had just come out, and I had taken my son to see it, and we were, we were talking about the movie, you know. I actually liked him. I thought he was terrific in it, you know. Um, and we were chatting about it, and... and uh, you know, a pretty down-to-earth guy, pretty serious business guy, you know, kind of knew what he was doing. He was no dummy, you know. Um, and then later on, um, I used to do him as a character on Imus. Yeah. And, and um, he would come on as a guest. And he came on actually the day after that whole thing broke with him and, and was it Man Cow and Man Cow's wife and that video. Yeah. And... and Man, I talk about, you know, sympathy. He just looked so defeated. He looked so hurt. He was so, he was so visibly shaken by what had gone down. And he was embarrassed and kind of ashamed and angry. And I just felt awful for him, you know, because he was a, you know, nice guy. I mean, he, he became somebody that you know we weren't allowed to talk about after um a while because of the defection um uh but you know and i had said to randy i said you know i said i'd like to do a show where i do you you know uh, the whole show and he said only if you do hogan too brother yeah. only if you do hogan too they got a real rivalry yeah oh absolutely absolutely and you could tell you know, there, yeah. there was a rivalry there, but um, Randy was just, you know, I, I, I actually like cried when I, when I heard the news about Randy because he was, 
just the sweetest, just the nicest, most down to earth, you know, this huge guy, you know, he, he had fingers like knockwurst, you know, it's like, and yet he was one of the gentlest guys ever. And man, what a wrestler. Holy moly. Oh yeah. Um, he can do it all. I mean, side athletic ability, promo skills. Um, he, he was, you know, to me, they, they call uh, Shawn Michaels as Mr. WrestleMania because every year you can count on Shawn Michaels having an unbelievable match. But before him, when you know, because again, I'm at that perfect age where I grew up, like right when WrestleMania had started, like 85, 86, going into those years. So I remember it all. And the first eight or nine years of WrestleMania, the Macho Man has a five star match in almost every single one. He just stopped wrestling right when you got there. Like right when you got there, he was starting to taper off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Obviously, went over to WCW and restarted his greatness. But it, as a fan, that was unbelievable. And, um, you know, an- another question for you, too, speaking of, like, Hall of Fame talents, do you expect to get a call to go into the celebrity wing at some point of the WWE Hall of Fame? I'm sorry? Would you expect to get a call to go into the, the Hall of Fame for wrestling? And what- no, no, seriously, in their celebrity ring, because they, or uh, wing, I'm sorry, celebrity wing, they have that now, where they, they bring back guys like that. No, I, I think... <laughs> I think the chance of me becoming a wrestler and getting in the ring now is a there's a better chance of that happening than me being inducted into the celebrity wing of the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Um, I agree. That I mean, I've never gotten invited to any of the anniversary shows. I've never, you know, and I've I've spoken about it on many a podcast and my own podcast and. Um, television and <clears throat> interviews, and I've, I've always talked about how I was awful, but but I had a great time, and everybody that I worked with, with, with was terrific. I mean, <clears throat> the organization, you know, was a really well-oiled machine. And like I said, Vince is uh, is a genius, a marketing genius, and a programming genius in terms of knowing what to give his fans, you know, and uh, knowing what what kind of product uh, his people want, you know. Um, I have been inducted in the um, Hall of Awesomeness uh, with Brian Alvarez on, on his, his uh, podcast, so I feel, you know, at least I've had a, a modicum of success in, in that respect. But I'd be more than happy to attend any kind of an induction where that would happen. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure what the fans' reaction would be, however. Um because the one time I actually got to be at, a, at an event, an actual wrestling event, it was at the Garden. And um, my, my son brought his friends. Um, and we, we took a limo in. And we thought, this is, you know, it's kind of a great thing. He was going to meet them all. And we, I kept telling him, I said, you know, we're going to be sitting ringside, guys. We're going to be sitting ringside. I mean, they were just could not be happier. And then. We get there and our seats are literally two rows from the ceiling. And so I'm like, all of a sudden I go from being the coolest dad in the world to like, who is this, you know, the biggest loser. Right, who is this loser? You know, and what's worse is as I'm walking up, you know, people are recognizing me, right? So that's even worse, you know? And then I'm sitting there and everyone's looking back and laughing and pointing and, so I said to the boys, I said, stay here. I'm going to go down and see what's going on. So I went down 
And, you know, the security guy near me is going to let me in. And I, I, said, to, I said, Vince, what's going on? He said, yeah, we're going to introduce you. And we're going to hit you with a spotlight. You're going to follow you all, all the way down. You're going to do the walk of shame. You're going to walk in and then get into the ring and you're going to interview Giant Gonzalez. I said, oh, okay. Um, but I stayed in the dressing room. So I didn't have to do the walk of shame. No. Um, and my boys had no idea what was going on. Um, and, and his friends. And, and all of a sudden they announced me. And I go out and get into the ring, and Harvey Whippleman was, I guess, uh, John Gonzalez's manager at the time. And um, I got so heavily booed. Um, and I think things would have been thrown into the ring if they didn't have the guys in security making sure. Um, <laughs> and Harvey Whippleman was, um, you know, taunting me. And I was, you know, interviewing John Gonzalez, who was like grunting and whatever he was doing. And, you know, by the way, that, that's not real hair. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> anyway, um, and Harvey starts attacking New York. And, you know, the, how New Yorkers are just, you know, they're the scum of the earth and whatever. And so I, I said, you can't say New York is the center of the freaking universe. You, New York, you would need, you would, New York would eat you up and spit you out. Well, I got a mind, and not even that was getting the crowd on my side. But at that point, John Gonzalez reaches over and grabs my shoulder and gives me like the Spock pinch and forces me down to my knees. And that's when I invented my finishing move, which was running from the ring in abject horror and fear. So... Well, I think that's hysterical. Thank you for coming on. I want to wish you the best. Now, I got to say one last thing to close the show, though, clearly. Um, if social media was around during those 13 episodes, um, got to help you. Because <laughs> big fans are mean in the crowd. They're even worse uh, when, the, when I call them, the, you know, the keyboard warriors. Uh -huh. People are insane. They're cruel. Um, well, I, I think time is, has softened the blow, you know, because... Yeah. You know, people like yourself and, and some of the other podcasts. I did a podcast, uh, I think it's Old School Wrestling. They do it from um, Dublin. The, the, um, I, I went on their show for the first time. I think it was one of the first wrestling um, podcasts I did. And I was amazed. Um, uh, I had actually stumbled onto them. Somebody, they were talking about me. They were, they were doing a watch along of the first Raw. And man, were they merciless. And then I looked them up and I said, I sent them an email. I said, you know, I'd love to be a, a guest. And I think everyone is always surprised to know that I was aware of how bad that I was. Um, but that, you know, I had a great time, you know. And uh, But, I, you know, Vince, if you're out there, I'm, I'm free to come to the next anniversary show. And if, you, you know, if there's room for a guy my size in the celebrity wing of the Hall of Fame, I'd be honored to be inducted. But I'm, I'm not sucking up. I'm just... I'm just saying. I'll write a letter and I'll see what I get. And there he is, Rob Bartlett. We will write that letter for him, see what we can do. Thank you again, Rob, for being on the show today. And maybe we will be in that Hall of Fame soon enough. For Keon Sports, I'm Vince McKee. That was Rob Bartlett.